and uh, you know, I came back with it, and she she took one look at it, and she started laughing. She's like, "You're you're the only one that can write this book." <laughs> She's like, "Your tone, your voice." Like- Hello, and welcome to episode sixty-four of Rockstar CMO FM. The M is for marketing, and the F is for well, you decide. As you're probably wondering. Does the world need another effing marketing podcast? I'm your host, Ian Truscott, and this podcast serves as my excuse to chat with marketing friends old and new that I've met through my 20-year B2B marketing career, and hopefully share some marketing street knowledge that will bring out the Rockstar CMO in you. Come say hello at Rockstar CMO on Twitter and LinkedIn, and thank you to those that have. I've had some lovely feedback this week. This episode is recorded on Friday the 28th of May. I hope you've had a good week and you are well safe and staying as sane as you feel you need to be. A slightly longer episode this week as I got a bit carried away with our guests. It's actually my birthday as I edit this, so I hope you'll indulge me. Julie Ogilvie, former CS Decisions Forester Research Director, returns to talk about creating categories. I have a wonderful conversation I think you'll enjoy with Christine Delvilla about her book Sway implement the grit marketing method to gain influence and drive corporate strategy and of course i will round off the week with my friend and content marketing guru robert rose for a chat and a cocktail right let's get started shall we On to our first segment. You may remember Julie Ogilvie from episode 58. She is a former VP Principal Analyst for Forrester Research and has a fabulous marketing career before that. Delighted that Julie has agreed to join us for the next few weeks, sharing some of her advice on marketing topics that you could describe as greatest hits or maybe pet peeves. I hope you enjoy this conversation. Welcome, Julie, back to Rockstar CMO FM. How are you? I'm great. Thank you for having me back. Oh, you're very welcome. I think that uh, we're going to call this segment Julie Ogilvie's Greatest Hits. And we're going to go through um, some of the things that you've talked about in your excellent career as a, as a um, Serious Decisions and Forest, Forester Research Director, correct? Correct, correct. <laughs> and all the things that you've seen and some of the things we've discussed off air um, after you appeared on the show before, which I'm very grateful for, and I'll point people to when you first appeared. Um, so looking at my notes, uh, the first up of Julie Ogilvie's greatest hits is we're creating a category. Which we're I creating love. a category. Yeah, <laughs> yes. this should be called, you know, pet peeves or <laughs> I don't know if it's greatest hits, but that is something I would hear clients say. And mm-hmm. I had also, you know, my career prior to being at Serious Decisions and Forrester was in the technology world. And so that's always, uh, you know, sort of a, a favorite um, in technology to say, yeah. we are going to create a category. And in almost all cases, that happens when, you know, product managers and product marketers realize that their product doesn't fit yeah. any category, right? It's got some yeah. serious deficiencies or idiosyncrasies. And, you know, this can happen for a lot of reasons. Sometimes, you know, product development is more driven by the specific needs of a customer or mm-hmm. there could be mar- mergers and acquisitions, but companies end up with this weird assembly of features that don't mm-hmm. fit any definition. So they say, well, we are our own category. That's another, yeah. you know, a variation on it. Not just we're creating a category, we're our own category. We yeah. are the category, you know. <laughs> And so I'd have to explain, well, you can't be a category unless there are other companies in it. 
Mm-hmm. And so that's a big thing. A lot of people say, well, category, we are the category. And, and yeah. that's not what that's it not- is. I mean, it kind of goes back to what is a category? A category is like a mental picture in the minds yeah. of customers and influencers about, you know, a certain type of product that exists in the world. And it's useful yeah. to define different types of categories. And you can say you're in or you're out of a category. Yeah. Um, but, uh, you know, saying we're going to create our own category doesn't make it so. No, absolutely. And um, but one of the, I mean, sometimes I think, and I don't know whether this is a bit of a cheeky question, but aren't sometimes analysts quite complicit in this category creation business? Because right. I know in the category that I've spent most of my career in content management, nobody calls it content management before. There is a plethora of terms, um, some of which I think vendors have invented and some of them have been invented um, by the analysts. I remember 20 years ago, um, an analyst inventing the term enterprise content management. And all of a sudden, everybody's pivoting and buying document management systems and stuff like that. So what, do you think that also analysts play that play play the role there? Absolutely. In fact, um, in, in B2B, you know, analysts play an important role. And yeah. one of them is actually defining the categories. And, and it cannot be escaped that the way that people think about categories is very often what analysts have told them. And, yeah. and, you know, I won't name any particular <laughs> firm, but there's, you know, one that always comes to mind, they have a certain sort of magical construct that they use. <laughs> It really simply defines what these categories are often in people's minds. And so, you know, it's not impossible to create a new category. As Mm -hmm. you said, enterprise um, content management is one. Um, Mm -hmm. You know, there's a smaller segment, but something called information governance um, was created a few years ago, an assembly of different types of uh, functionalities. So it can be done, but it takes a long time, usually yeah. takes 18 to 24 months to do. Yeah. It requires budget because mm. again, it's it's not you saying that there's a new category. It's getting mm. other people to say it. So it's yeah, getting yeah. analysts to say this is the category. We agree with that um, definition. Yeah. And that you're a part of it and you're a leader in it. Yeah. Um, and then it's getting customers to and to buy into that and to buy actually buy your product you know in order to say that you're successful in creating a category you have to be able to show business results and yeah. and that you have some traction with customers and so it's i think sometimes people drift into that thinking of we'll create a category because they think it's easier say than fixing their product which yeah. may not fit today's definition of the category but if they realize, if they really think about it and they realize this is really a two-year proposition to create mm. a category, they might think about it differently. Yeah. Do you think vendors do that on purpose or do you think they're just looking for a tagline to describe their product in a different way, but they actually accidentally stumble out of their category and start confusing their buyers? Yeah, I think sometimes it's by accident and sometimes, unfortunately, I have to say it's by ego. You know. <laughs> You know, I think a lot of times these these ideas like we're going to create a category have come yeah. about because there's been some kind of an offsite or some kind of strategic yeah. planning session where a bunch of people get in a room and who's the smartest guy in the room and we're yeah. arguing about things. I mean, working in technology, you know, you've been a part <laughs> of these groups where these arguments that go on are yeah. so passionate and they yeah. end up coming out with this sort of convoluted idea. Mm-hmm. That 
everybody in the room has agreed to it. So this is what we're going to go to market with. And and the disconnect is no one has has taken that idea out and talked to customers about it, tested it. And um, that's that is typically the road to ruin. So, yeah. Yeah. So, um, but I mean, being at the forefront of a category, being there when a category is formed and that magic moment when something coalesces and comes together is actually quite an important place for a vendor to find themselves, isn't it? I mean, there's the, I think it's the book Play Bigger that, um, and if I was better prepared, I'd remember who the authors were, but where they talk about the fact that you need to sort of be within the sort of definition of your character of your category and be that definition is um so there is obviously value in defining category category but you're saying there's investment you have to put in in order to do that right and so and and it's not impossible to create Mm. a category definitely um but again it's investment it's commitment to a vision and understanding that it is a long-term process. And essentially, when you have created this vision for what this category is, mm-hmm. it's, you know, it, it really has to be a company wide dedication, yeah. dedication to, to, to achieving that, you know, because the yeah. product needs to be shaped according to that, that mm-hmm. category. Again, you need to have your customers reinforcing that this is a category, yeah. you need to have a long term usually sort of a courtship with your analysts and experts in the field to convince them that this is indeed a category. You're shaping the way people think, and this is a long-term proposition, but it's absolutely achievable. Um, A lot of times companies just don't stick with it long enough and they don't Mm -hmm. understand what it is that they're getting into when they go into this process. I think that um, the other thing I've found as well is that there's a uniqueness sorry, there's a belief of uniqueness and differentiation within an organization, but actually the, there's a there's actually a failure of competitive intelligence understanding the market and right. that you're not so different as you thought you were, you know, right. or that or that your your advantages aren't aren't actually category defining. They're just, you know, nice to have on top of a core category. Is that sort of experience that you've seen as well? Absolutely. And another thing that is sort of counterintuitive is that you will be successful in creating a category when competitors agree that it's a category and define themselves using your language. So a lot of times, again, companies go into this saying, we're unique. Yes. There's nobody else like us. Well, that's not a category, right? So, so there's some kind of internal tension there, but I would agree with you very often. Um, you know, this people will have, maybe they have a couple of of very good customers who are just, you know, completely, uh, you know, overjoyed with this set of features that you have in your product. But that does not mean that that fits a larger market definition. Yeah, yeah. And also, I like that um, when when you're saying about, um, you know, that that, that sort of being being overjoyed about, about the fact that you're, you're redefining this this category and that, that people don't really see um, outside the market. And the, and also the, the fact that, you know, we're kind of flying blind a lot of the time when you're in, inside inside a vendor. And I have actually, and the competitive thing makes made me laugh actually when you mentioned that, because I've actually been in inside organizations where the competitors started to use the same language as that, as that vendor. And they're going, oh, they're stealing our idea. 
Exactly. <laughs> and, and I'm thinking, great, that means that, the, we're not, that our idea has been validated by the market. Right, exactly. You're exactly right. Um, yeah, it, it, if it, until, until you see analysts start to use that language, customers are using the language, and competitors, yeah. you know, then you, you don't really truly have a category. Yeah. So um, that's another thing like people if they and if you if you explain that to them sort of on as they're going into this, sometimes they'll sort of say, oh, I see now like what yeah. they're talking about is not creating a category. They do want to have a unique and powerful position in the market. Yeah. But maybe they don't want to create a category. <laughs> have you um I mean, there's a couple of examples that come to mind that I think have been quite successful. I think Drift did very well with conversational marketing, for example. I don't think we'd really talked about conversational marketing until, and I mean, Drift was not the first chatbot ever to exist, but they did seem to take the lead in that market and define it. Have you seen examples where you've seen categories being redefined or, or being being led by a vendor through through changing what the vision was of that category? Yeah. So the one that I mentioned before, it's not a huge category, but it's, it's fairly easy to understand. There was, and um, uh, is information governance, which Mm -hmm. was, um, you know, this is say uh, maybe 10 years ago, um, the idea of information governance was really email archiving, you know, making sure we archive our emails, but because of regulation and so forth, the need to really manage information through its life cycle became Mm -hmm. A much it, it became a bigger concept, and it was driven by circumstances in the market and regulation and changes in technology. And so, this category of information governance—it was um, a fairly small company that sort of drove the uh, uh, drove that category to become yeah. something that was, you know, information governance category as covered by analysts, etc. Uh, another smaller one that I know from sort of back in the day around uh, early 2000s, um, uh, something called Enterprise Service Bus. So at the time, um, you know, a technology for sort of bringing together different sorts of inputs um, yeah. that were coming from, uh, uh, you know, different systems. Yeah. Um, back in the day, Lotus Software with Groupware. Groupware was something that didn't really, wasn't really a category that was covered. Yeah. Uh, before then and you know we could find some other uh, you know we could find yeah. other examples i'm sure but you know these yeah. have come about they come about for good reasons they, they really do come about because it's something that makes sense for people in the larger context of right. the market right right so the categories either got to make logical sense and it just sort of coalesces around around the idea or you're in for the long haul of a 24-month program of convincing influencers, partners, competitors even, and analysts that right. this, is, this is a thing. Yeah, yeah. yeah. partners is another good good yeah. add to it because you're right. Yeah. It is like an ecosystem yeah. um, that will exist around this if it is a true uh, category. Yeah. And, you know, even if it does make sense, usually it makes sense in retrospect, you know. Yeah. At the beginning of that 24 months, nobody thinks that that makes sense, right? Yeah, and yeah. and it, there is, you know, it, it's, again, it's it's a process of providing evidence and finding customers mm. who will speak about it and support it. Um, mm. uh, and, you know, really, it has to be something that holds together and makes sense uh, in people's yeah, minds. Yeah, I mean, one of the biggest ones I think we've seen in the content market, content Sorry, I'm saying in the marketing 
discipline and practice is content marketing. I couldn't, I was saying my sentence in the wrong order there. Uh, things like that, isn't it? That thing, something like content marketing was, um, I don't know, 10 years ago, you wouldn't have thought of, but now is, is a, is a, is a discipline because of the commitment of, um, you know, folks like Joe Polizzi and, and Robert Rose who, who went on to do the content marketing institute. And then they, they actually, you know, put the hard miles in for a couple of years until right. we all sort of understood what this thing meant. Right. And, you know, it's funny. And, and there was, this was sort of a sticking point with people at Serious Decisions is yeah. what has marketing done for all of these years? Creating content. Yeah, 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 yeah. Right. But there is a difference between creating content and content marketing. Yeah. And um, you're yeah. right. It, it is something and it's something that you know, content marketing is designed to do a specific thing and yeah. people understand it more. But that whole tension of, are we just talking about creating content or are we talking about content marketing? That's yeah. been one of the sort of evolutions of recent years. Yeah, well, I like as well what, what you all seem to be intimating there is that I think that's the fine balance we need to take. I mean, we do this, as you know, we do this swimming pool thing every week where we chuck things and we, we chuck um, things that are annoying people into the into the Rockstar CMO swimming pool that, uh, around marketing. And a lot of stuff around buzzwords and stuff. Some of those things, I think people are trying to create a category over marketing discipline right. and it doesn't quite stick and then and then it and it fails doesn't it so i think we yeah. see categories all over the place don't we people are inventing these categories or these new terms and they don't quite stick well and that's the, that's another thing you know people want to use their own branded language yeah. we are xyz yeah. and yeah. as you said nobody else is allowed to say that well yeah. that's not really helpful to you you know no. you have to speak the same language as um, your audience yeah, yeah. That seems like a great place to stop on that topic. So that's the first of uh, Julie Ogilvy's greatest hits or pet peeves. Whereas greatest hits is it's got more of a rock star CMO ring yes, yes. to it. So thank you very much. So that's categories. Uh, and then um, uh, will you join me again next week for your next one? I would be very happy to. Thank you very much. I'll see you then. Cheers. Thank you, Julie. When Julie suggested this topic, I just laughed as I spent all of my career in B2B technology. And I've seen this so often. As you heard, you can find Julie on LinkedIn at chubbycouple.media and she's Ogilview on Twitter. Our next guest is Christina Del Villar, who is a Silicon Valley marketing executive, consultant and author who geeks out on helping companies transform, grow, scale and leverage technology. With 25 years of experience at Fortune 100 companies and more than 15 startups, Christina has developed go-to-market and marketing strategies for new product launches, acquisitions and IPOs, particularly for high-growth companies, where she leverages her experience and industry perspective to take them to the next level. Christina's GRIT marketing method focuses on helping marketing professionals to build smarter programs, be more efficient, grow revenue and improve overall company performance. And we'll be discussing her book, Sway, implement the grit marketing method to gain influence and drive corporate strategy, which is due out shortly. I hope you enjoy this conversation. Welcome, Christina, to Rockstar CMO FM. How are you? I am doing excellent. Thank you. Thank you so much for having me. I'm excited. 
Yeah, I'm very welcome. And uh, for the listeners that don't know you, tell us a little tiny bit about yourself. <laughs> Perfect. Yeah. So I am a go-to market strategist and marketing executive. I've been working in Silicon Valley for the past almost 30 years, let's just say 30-ish years, uh, mostly with B2B companies and and uh, probably with about 20 different startups in some capacity, whether it's you know do, running their marketing or advising. Um, and, and that included Elon Musk's first company. So I learned a lot uh, from that. Yeah, Zip2 is a long time ago. Uh, and then the recently IPO'd uh, Bill.com. And then the other, uh, you know, I've really focused a lot on Fortune 500 companies as well, just because I'm so focused on B2B. So I've worked for companies like Oracle and Wells Fargo. Um, but yeah, I'm just excited to be here and talk about some of my experience and hopefully um, help some folks out. Well, I'm looking forward to it. And as, um, you know, this is a marketing show, and we, we're, we're trying to encourage uh, rock star CMOs of the future. And what inspired you to get into marketing? Yeah, I kind of joke about it. Um, but honestly, I actually wanted to be a fighter pilot when I when I was younger. <laughs> and uh, women just weren't, we weren't allowed at that time. So, you know, part of it was just the, the combination of planning and strategy and nimble decision making and some of that combat uh, that you see it was both sort of terrifying and exhilarating at the same time. Um, and since I couldn't be a fighter pilot, I picked the next closest thing, which was a marketing executive in Silicon Valley. <laughs> so. Sounds great. <laughs> amazing how many people ended up in marketing and had other aspirations but i think you're the right. first aspiring fighter pilot i've had on the show <laughs> yeah but but seriously it's you know for me it is it's all it is all about strategy mm-hmm. um and really trying to figure out you know what you know how how to bring those products to market mm-hmm. uh, and it was interesting because i think working when i was working with elon it really became clear that there are people like the idea person right the people who mm-hmm. come up with these you know, crazy ideas, I suppose, <laughs> um, but, but amazing. And then there's mm-hmm. the people who strategize on how to get them to market. And, and again, I realized really early on that I, I'm not the big idea person. I'm mm-hmm. not going to like figure out the next big product or solution, um, but I'm really good at getting them to market. Yeah. Yeah. And turning the, turning the tech terms into into something that other people are going to be able to consume which is the role of the master isn't it right absolutely yeah translating that that technology and and that that verbiage and so that so that it makes sense for the folks you're selling to for sure yeah yeah turn that idea into an actual product um so um anyway talking of inspiration and what inspires you to get into marketing and the reason really i think that you're here because i've been enjoying your book Sway, implement the grit marketing method to gain influence and drive corporate strategy. It's quite a long title. It is quite a lot. It was a a much shorter title when I started. And then after several iterations, it got longer and longer. So it's great for SEO, that's for sure. (laughs) Well, it's great. I mean, it's inspirational, as I was saying. Um, But I'm carrying on with the topic of inspiration. What inspired you to write it? Yeah, and thank you. I appreciate you reading the book. It was, it's been a passion of mine for a while. Uh, you know, for I've been, again, in mar- marketing for 30 years. And one thing that just really became clear is that um, even though I feel like marketing is the backbone of the company, right? Like mm-hmm. we develop the brand, we own, you know, we develop the logo, we own the website, the content, the programs, like everything that helps, again, sort of develop that company, develop the products and bring them to market is is marketing. Uh, and yet a lot of people don't understand what marketing actually does and what marketing professionals bring to the table, the value yeah. they bring. And, you know, for me, it's just, it was disheartening. You know, I mean, I've seen it myself and I've seen it in my teams and, and in other people 
people. Um, and so I really just wanted to figure out a way to help people have more um, significant impact and, and really be able to show the value that they really are truly bringing. And so I really wanted to be able to teach marketing professionals that, um, it's interesting. You had a uh, Russ Powell on a couple of mm-hmm. episodes ago, and he was yeah. talking about how marketers don't understand or aren't able to articulate or communicate their effectiveness and their value, yeah. the value add that they bring to the business, um, and and maybe even understanding the responsibility that they have for the overall corporate goals. Mm-hmm. And so that's really what inspired me to write this book, and and it really does it provides a framework to help people mm. figure out how to do that. So. Yeah, no, I, I love it. And just the opening chapter is like a call to arms, isn't it? It's like it's yeah. uh, you, you you seem to have breathed into this book like this sort of empowering um, perspective of what marketing needs to be getting on with and not sit back and, and worry right. that, that, that you're not included in, in, in that high level stuff, but go get it. Go, go, go get it. it. Yeah, yeah. Go yeah. empower yourself and, and go get yeah. it. Yeah. And it's interesting because uh, when I first started the journey of writing the book, I, I talked to a ghost writer because I, I didn't know how to write a book. Mm-hmm. Um, and, uh, and she talked to me a little bit and then we, we had a conversation and she made me go write something and uh, you know, I came back with it and she, she took one look at it and she started laughing. She's like, you're, you're the only one that can write this book. <laughs> She's like, you're t- Tone, your voice like you yeah. need to write this book so that's what I did yeah, no, it, re- it really comes across and I was um and it's really interesting to read the book and then um to have the opportunity to chat to the author and and really get that true you know the yes. voice in my head you know <laughs> of the person that was talking to me in the book and to actually meet you but the yeah, book's mainly me. built around the methodology that you have which is the grit in the title right so yeah. tell us a bit about grit yeah, so I'll, I'll kind of explain what the uh, the acronym stands for, and then I'll go into a little bit of detail about each of them. So GRIT stands for, the G stands for go to market, the R stands for RPM, the I stands for intention, and the T stands for tools and technology. And so wh- when I broke it down, again, sort of thinking about, you know, the, the process that marketers need to go through to start sort of owning that go to market strategy in, in and of itself, um, you know, it really starts with the go to market strategy. Um, You know, it's really critical for marketers to be involved in the development of the strategy. I find oftentimes we're we're not involved in the strategy at all. Uh, You know, if we're often like handed, you know, like a recipe, like here's a cookbook, go, go do it. And it's like, whoa, 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 what? This doesn't even make sense. This isn't even our target. Um, And, and so I think it's just really important for marketers to understand that, that they really should uh, have a significant role in the go-to-market strategy if they don't own it, uh, you know, in and of itself. Um, and, you know, Jeff Jeff Clark was on and, and he talked about that too. You know, he was talking about, um, you know, it's it's just so important for marketers to be involved and understand that that's, that is a that is where they should be. Um, and again, if you look at across the entire customer journey, you know, marketing is part of that journey, but product, like how can marketers help with product? How can marketers obviously help with sales and enable them? But even again, you know, in B2B in particular with customer success, how can marketers, how can the marketing team and organization help customer success be successful? Therefore, our customers won't churn, they'll expand and things like that. So so that's really what the G stands for. Particularly now with, um, I mean, most B2B um, technology services are SaaS, aren't they? And you're, yeah. and I had this yeah. conversation, and I love that you've quoted two people that are on the podcast already. And I'm going to quote <laughs> a third with Darren um, Granaccia from, from Hootsuite. And he was saying that, you know, it's important that the marketing and the product keep step relevant to the customer yeah. because they're one month or one year away from terminating that agreement. 
Right. Yeah. We, I mean, I, um, I'm in a group of, of CMOs and we were talking about this, like the marketing automation tools are just not keeping up with what we need to really have a significant impact on our customers. Like we're, we're looking at our customers and how can we help them? And these tools just aren't keeping up with what we need them to do. Um, and it's going to be a problem, um, you know, pretty pretty soon. Yeah. So (laughs) we get to that, don't we? When we get to the T, but we're only at R and I realize we're we're at R. So the R stands for RPM, which means mm-hmm. repeatable, predictable, and measurable. Mm-hmm. Um, and this is something I think is really critical. I think marketers really need to be think about how how they can be more effective. Yeah. Um, so instead of you know creating. 20, uh, even more, you know, 100 different programs, like create a couple of really good programs, create a couple of really good pieces and pillar pieces of content, Mm -hmm. and figure out how to leverage those in different ways. Um, And so that's really what the RPM is all about. And then obviously, you want to measure that. The I stands for intention. And I think this is really critical. And it goes to, um, I think, a big issue that marketers have. And that is, you know, really understanding, like, again, if you're thinking about the go-to-market strategy and how it aligns with the customer journey, like, be intentional with every single thing you do every minute of your day mm-hmm. um, because otherwise you're you're spinning your wheels and you're poten- potentially producing programs and content that are, that are meaningless um, and it was interesting I, I had my team it was one week I like just record every interruption that you have that's not focused on programs that are strategic mm-hmm. and uh, the average they came back with with interruptions in one week was 200 200 interruptions wow. yeah, and yeah. it was everything like hey you know I'm going into a sales call can you throw me a slide or I need a t-shirt or you know the CEO's like hey I've got this great idea um, all, all of the <laughs> which are questionable um, but all of these interruptions like really impact your productivity and yeah. if they're not helping you really you know meet that OKR that KR uh, the ultimate objective of the company you need to stop doing them um, Mm. because it's just a distraction focus isn't it I mean it's a big thing isn't it I mean I like intention I like that but really that's about focusing marketing having that focus absolutely and it's okay to say no like if somebody you know runs over and is like oh hey you know I need this or oh I just need a little I need you to to create a little logo for me or whatever, yeah, <laughs> whatever yeah, it yeah. is. Um, and, and so that's, that's what the I stands for. And the T stands for tools and technology, really mm-hmm. all of the different tools and systems that we implement, the workflows that we need to think about, you know, what, how they're working for us. Um, mm-hmm. I feel it's really important for marketing to own this. Oftentimes it gets handed over to the IT organization, but they're not the ones who are being held accountable for everything yeah. that you're supposed to be measuring or the data. And so, so we really need to kind of step up and 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 have more say and ownership of of the tools and technology. So that's yeah. that's that's great. Yeah. <laughs> Which one would you say is? Um, I'm going to get to an, another question in a second. But out of those four things, what would you say yeah. is the thing that we as marketers really need to focus the most on? Because um, yeah. you know a lot of the conversation we have on on the podcast is about technology and that people overthink about. They over, they spend too much time on technology and they think that that's going to solve their problems. But I like, which one is it that you think that marketers really should pay attention to? Yeah, I mean, I I think without a doubt, it's the go-to-market strategy. Like we we really need to be a, a viable 
partnership in in developing that, if not own it outright. And so part of what the book talks about is how do you do that? It provides a framework to to do what I call building internal influence across that customer journey, called the map of influence. And by doing that, you start slowly sort of picking away at areas that you can own or influence. Um, and that's kind of how you get to owning that. Um, because at the end of the day, you know, we we own we own the revenue target. Like let's, let's face it. We own it, right? We are held responsible. We're held accountable for it. Um, but if we're, if we're not the ones who are helping develop that strategy in the first place, it's, it's really hard to sort of connect those dots. Yeah. I love that. And uh, again, and a topic that comes up a lot is about us marketers being aligned with those goals of the senior executives of revenue and stuff. So, um, Looking at the time, and I realise I have have in no way set aside enough time in this podcast to talk to you, so so it's all on me. What What's the one thing that you would like readers to take from this this book, aside from that inspiration that I found in that first? Yeah, I think I think the the empowerment is key. Like you're saying, it's Mm. not you know I think a lot of people sit back and and wait for somebody to empower them, and you need to you need to empower yourself. Um, But I think that the key thing uh, really is to that you can have influence across the entire company, and it doesn't matter what your job level is, what your experience is, what your role is. Uh, You 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 really need to sort of just understand that that you can have that influence. Um, It's going to help you be more effective. It's going to help you build trust. It's going to help your career trajectory. And so that's really what I want, want people to think about is, you know, the influence that, that they can have. And it's really, it's really like a marketing campaign that the book basically is like how to market yourself into yeah. market the marketer. <laughs> yeah, no, that really came across. And, what, and, and so the tips you would give to, to marketers is to understand what they're capable of doing and how they can influence an organization, right? And then market that. Is that what you're yes, saying? Yes, exactly. Yeah. So for example, let's say you, let's just say you're the person who's responsible for, for webinars, mm. um, you know, and, and some people might think, oh, that's just, you know, a webinar that that's yeah. going on. But, you know, have you noticed, you know, if, if you're talking to customer success, there are tickets that are coming in and there's something significant that customers are looking for, you know, then can yeah. you think about doing a webinar around that? Or can you take that to product and engineering and say, hey, you know what, this is something significant. I know it's on the roadmap. Can you be on our webinar to help people understand. Yeah. And so there's just little tiny, tiny ways, I call them touch points, um, that we can, you know, influence people. It really has to do with like gaining trust, right? And so mm-hmm. you, you have to understand all of the different pieces and components of that customer journey. Um, and, and, you know, kind of empathy is overused right now, but like have yeah. empathy, have empathy for the engineer, have empathy yeah. for the product person, have empathy for the salesperson, because that's what's going to help you just be better at your job and help them yeah. be better at their job. I love that. Well, I, well, the the thing with empathy, and I, <laughs> I'm just carrying on this. Again. The thing with the thing that I found with empathy and trust is most people are talking about building that with their external, with 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 the market, with, right. with their audience, right? Yep. And yep. what I like is what you're saying is that you also have to do that at home. You need to be a marketer also in the office as well as looking outwards. Yeah, absolutely. You know, it's interesting. I think that, you know, as much as I say that, you know, marketing is overlooked and and undervalued, there's a lot of people in the organization are. Um, And I had an experience with, uh, with engineers and I needed, I needed the roadmap changed. I needed something reprioritized. And, and so I went, I went to the the head of engineering and, you know, told them like, this is, this is, I put things in context for them, right? Like, like this is yeah. 
what I need. This is why I need it. This is how this is going to help. And I, and I gave him a revenue number. I'm like, if we're able to do this, this is going to increase our revenue. It was like almost by a hundred million and uh, (laughs) which is, which is amazing. Right. And so it's, so the interesting thing was, is he looked at me and he said, nobody has ever related what my team Mm -hmm. does to the revenue that the company brings in. Wow. And I was like, my gosh, yeah, like you build the product that we sell that people use that, you know, and, and so just by that, like one, you know, it was like a five minute conversation we had, it built trust. He went back to his team and was like, did you know, did you know that we can yeah. <laughs> help yeah, with yeah. revenue? And it just, you know, it just sort of, uh, we, we can, yeah, I mean, we can build, um, we can build the bridges inside organizations like that. And we yep, can, we, we've also got a spotlight that we can shine on people. Like I, I've done that before where you, you bring people, you know, you spotlight them on the blog or stuff like that and they just love it. And yeah. I had yeah. a similar experience with, with the CFO where I was working with the CFO and he's like, wow, you're the first marketer that's really got into the numbers like this. And and if you're interested in what they're interested in, that empathy builds up and there's nothing wrong with the CMO being chums with the CFO. Let me just tell exactly. you. That. Yeah, right. No, no, no question about that. Yeah. And, and, you know, one thing, and, and I think this is important for, for the audience. One thing yeah. that I've always done is with my teams, um, I, you know, sometimes they volunteer, sometimes I, I kind of make it a, a mandatory thing, but <laughs> I, I basically pair them with people in other organizations. So mm-hmm. I'll have, you know, my, my events person have a contact in product, have have a contact in engineering, have a contact in sales, have a contact mm. in customer support. And, you know, whether they just go for coffee or they, you know, get on a call mm. to discuss what's going on, but it's just a real simple way to start building again, those yeah. relationships and that empathy. And then if anything ever comes up, these people can say, Hey, you know what? I know that might sound like bullshit, but I have, I had lunch with them last week and and they're, this is, you know, they're, they know what they're talking about and we need to see if we can help them. So it really does help build. And again, that trust and influence internally. Which seems like it seems so obvious, right? It's like everything you do externally, you need to start yeah. thinking about. Inward. Yeah, and that really came through in the book. And I, I really, I really like that. So I'm, I'm going to say the title of the book again so that people can find it. Sway, Im- Implement the Grit Marketing Method to Gain Influence and Drive Corporate Strategy. It's out now, right? It's so. on, it's pre-sale right now. It's on pre-sale so right it'll now. Right, be, it's right. coming out August 3rd. You have a special copy. So. Yes, I do, <laughs> don't I? Thank you. <laughs> exactly. Say. So um, I'll include a link to that in the show notes. So I'm going to come to our final question, uh, which um, which I, I very much enjoy. <laughs> we have a regular <laughs> feature, the Rockstar CMO Zoom pool, our portal to marketing hell for all the bullshit, snake oil, and overhyped trends of our industry. What would you chuck in there? Oh, there's a lot I would chuck, but I, <laughs> I would chuck a lot of it out. But uh, I think uh, MQLs and just leads in general. Lovely. I'm, right? Like, seriously, that is yeah. not – that and T-shirts, it's like what people think <laughs> marketers do. It's like and if we had a T-shirt that said MQL, they'd be like, yeah, that's what you do. Yeah. Uh, and it's it's ridiculous. Like, marketing does – so much more. They bring so much more value, mm-hmm. uh, you know, not to minimize qualified leads, but again, it's like the one thing like a CEO hears that and they're like, yeah, how many MQLs did you bring in? Yeah. Um, and, uh, and it's like that, what, what we want to talk about, and this goes to the, you know, go to market strategy and yeah. the alignment of the customer journey. It's like, what's the revenue? Who cares? I mean, yeah, like, you yeah. know, sure you care, you know, what yeah, your ROI yeah. is and stuff like that. But, yeah. but MQLs, we just talk about them too much. Cause it's like what people quote understand when in fact yeah. they don't understand 
They don't understand them at all. <laughs> well, I think, it, I think it's like a common language, isn't it? It's the thing we can agree yes. to disagree on and yeah. to debate endlessly about what an right. MQL and what an SQL is. It just, oh, it, my it God, yeah. Us. Oh, it does. And that's like, let's talk about revenue, right? Like, let's, yeah. you know, marketing should be talking about revenue and everything we're doing should be driving to revenue. And we need to be able to explain that and, and show that with the results that we have. Yeah, no, I love that. And, and MQLs have come up a few times on the show as well. So I'm glad that we get to throw those in the swimming pool. Yeah. Thank you very much. Yes, yes. <laughs> and um, finally, um, if people spin the dial on the interwebs, where are they going to find you, Christina? They can find me at christinadelviar.com. Mm-hmm. And uh, the book right now, you can go to swaythebook.com. That's easier than typing in, yeah. you know, the, great- <laughs> the, the entire title and subtitle. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Excellent. Well, I'll include all your links and the links to the book in the show notes. Thank you very much for your time. I very much enjoyed our conversation. I look forward to staying in touch. Thank you, Christina. Thank you. Bye-bye. Thank you, Christina. That was fun. And I genuinely recommend grabbing her book when it comes out. She has a very direct writing style, and the first chapter alone will inspire you to get some marketing shit done. Right. It's that time of the week. It's Friday evening and time to find out where my friend and content marketing guru, Robert Rose, would like to transport us to for a marketing thought and a cocktail in the Rockstar CMO virtual bar. Good evening, Robert. What are you drinking? Ah, hello, and welcome back to the bar. Didn't we? Mm-hmm. I think we established last week that I have moved in. I, yes, I think, indeed. Um, indeed, I've been uh, tweeting about it this week. I I saw that. <laughs> I, I saw that. Yeah. Um, well, tonight we have, mm-hmm. and it is a wonderful Friday uh, as we get into mm-hmm. the weekend um, here. And what I'm, I'm I'm I've gotten for us tonight is something uh, you know I don't know where you stand on this I don't know that we've talked about it but I just got my vaccination done oh, yes. um, and so uh, which I'm quite happy about mm-hmm. um, and so I'm calling it the post vax um, and it's basically nice. uh, a, a health tonic almost if you will it's a mm-hmm. um, I mean of course it <laughs> let's let's be serious it's got tequila <laughs> in it, so I don't know how healthy it's really gonna be but uh-huh. um, it's a really fun mix mm-hmm. of pineapple juice, apple juice, carrot juice, yes, wow. really, uh, turmeric, lemon juice, and just a spot of cinnamon. Wow. Uh, and if you put all that together um, with a healthy shot of, and now this is important, a reposado tequila, a lighter tequila, mm-hmm. um, not one of the heavy anejos. You need, you need a really light uh, tasting tequila for this. Yeah, it, it, you know, as they say, it'll cure what ails you. So, um, uh, it's that's that's tonight's uh, little. Concussion. That sounds that sounds splendid, and um, yeah, all of that all of that is extremely healthy, I should imagine. And uh, so, I'll need to um, create that with my desktop bar. Let's see what I've got here. So, did you put ice in that? Uh, I do indeed. Yes, I did oh. indeed. I, and and the reason for that is it's getting hot here in Southern California. So yeah, I bet it is. Yeah, we even had some warmth here. So, and then uh, I obviously don't. I have a very light tequila. It's called gin. 
Um, ah, yes, that is the lightest. <laughs> that is the lightest of the tequilas. Yes, the, the you have anejo, reposado, and gin. I think are the yes, three yes. different. The, uh, yeah, the, the, the lightest of the of the English the tequilas. Of the, gin. <laughs> the lightest of the tequilas. <laughs> the English tequila. <laughs> and then um, I'm also going to have a health tonic to join you with that, and it's going to be a health cucumber tonic water. Ah. Excellent. Oh, the, the, I said this last week, didn't I? The waft of cucumber that comes out of that bottle is marvellous. Yeah. Let me taste this and see if I feel any better. Makes the uh, makes the office smell nice, I suspect. Mm. Oh, that's that's delicious. And I think that definitely would cure whatever ails you. And what did you call that, Robert? Uh, you know, I was calling it just uh, the post-vax. Mm. Um because you know, or the post jab, maybe even jab. Yes. Well, um, I could. Um, I, I mean, I don't fancy having the vaccine every week, but I certainly could drink one of those. Every <laughs> yeah, week. exactly. I'm almost there. I've uh, I've had my first one because uh, they space hours apart by months. So uh, so I've had my I had my first one months ago, and then I have my second one in a few weeks. Ah. So excellent. then I will get my superpower. I don't know what it's going to be, what my superpower will be, but uh, it's whatever Bill Gates decides, I think. Is uh, yeah, it's, it, it, is, it is up to Bill Gates because he does have the chip in your arm now, so he can yes. program that yes. Uh, yes. Pretty, pretty readily. Yes, yeah, so I'm hoping I'm going to become the paperclip. <laughs> oh, excellent. <laughs> I think, that's, I think that's, that's a good one, I think. Yeah. <laughs> All right, mate. So we're having these um, these wonderful drinks and talking rubbish about vaccines and uh, Bill Gates, and starting our little conspiracy theories. Where um, <laughs> whereabouts might we be drinking these? Well, you know, funny enough that you mentioned conspiracy theories, uh, mm-hmm. uh, because you know we'll go to one of the places uh, in the U.S. here where uh, they are. You know, I mean, uh, they're the source of many of them. Mm-hmm. Um, there is a place in Montana. Um, which I'm going to guess that you've not been to. No. Um, it is not one of the more common uh, destinations. Um, but there is a common pla- a destination in Montana called Glacier National Park. Mm-hmm. And it, it, is, it, it is spectacular. Um, you know, it is what you think of when you think of the old American cowboy West. Mm-hmm. Um, and it is absolutely a beautiful place in the world. And there is a five-star hotel, because let's be really really serious here i never go camping um Mm -hmm. i go if i'm going to go anywhere in the world there better be a five-star hotel so there is a five-star hotel uh and it's called the ranch at rock creek um in uh well it's not in glacier national park it's just outside of it but it's you know (laughs) let's call it Mm. glacier national park adjacent um and it's a beautiful place where we can sit overlook the mountains the lakes um maybe ride on horseback Nice. Um, and just feel like we're, you know, getting healthy um, mm. again and ready to re-enter the world. And it's just a place to escape and would be a great place for us to get away. Is that the big country? The yes, they call that big sky country. That's yeah. Wyoming. Um, uh-huh. But it's, it, you know, Wyoming and Montana are 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 just next to each other. So, right. um, yes. But, um, yeah, they call that big sky country where you can, yeah. it's, uh, Glacier National Park is actually up in the mountains, right? So it's nice. where all the, I mean, the it's reasonably named because it was where all the glaciers sort of cut mm-hmm. through 
that part of the world. And so when they cut through, they created deep, deep valleys, which created mountains um, on either side of them. So there's these just these string of lakes um, that are all glacier lakes. Um, and then, you know, of course, it's a beautiful mountains and right. hillsides around that. It's, you know, it's it's Fabulous. it's absolutely beautiful. Sounds fabulous. And I think that we're creating a, a little drinking travel show here. I mean, you need to talk about marketing when you're discussing such beautiful places. Yeah. I, and I and I have not been. I was The last time I was there, I was a kid. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I have not been since in many, many years. So it's yeah. uh, it's somewhere I really want to get back to. Sounds fantastic. So um, where, what would we be discussing once we've got over the, the big sky? Well, you know, first of all, we probably wouldn't talk about anything regarding marketing. <laughs> let's just <laughs> let's just let's just let's just face that reality for a moment, and then uh-huh. take a beat and go. All right, now let's talk about marketing. <laughs> so, um, um, so what's on my mind and and would love to chat about is something that I had an experience with a couple of weeks ago. Um, where I literally had someone, a marketing VP, mm-hmm. say to me, we don't have time for strategic content. And you hear that sentence and you go, what? Yes. You, you're, you know, are, you know, because at its face, it sounds ridiculous. You know, yes. it's, we don't have time for strategy, basically, is what it, yes. they're, they're saying. Um, it reminds me very much of, you know, the, the old, you know, there's that saying that when you walk, uh, it, it's a tale that is told in business. The CFO walks into the CEO's office and says, what happens if we invest in training and all these people mm-hmm. end up leaving the company? Mm-hmm. And then the CEO says, well, what if we don't invest and they stay? Yeah. <laughs> and it's the same kind of thing yeah. when you hear we don't have time for strategic content. It's like, well, if we don't have time for strategic content, what kind of content do we actually have time for? <laughs> well, that's what was in um, my mind. It was like, but you've got time for this shit. <laughs> yeah, that's right. And so interestingly, um, when I dug in a little bit, his, mm-hmm. his complaint was actually reasonable. Mm-hmm. Um, and what he was complaining about was the review process, right? This is the, ah. the, the, you know, and usually when you hear review process at any company, when it comes to marketing and content, you sort of roll your eyes and you go, yeah, I got it. I know what I know. I feel that pain. Um, and what he was complaining about was the time that it took to go through this review process, um, for more of their in-depth stuff. Mm-hmm. But Honestly, all of it went through this similar sort of challenge, which was, you know, a white paper, it goes to the content team and then they start writing on it. And then the product team would review what they wrote and they would add their content to it and change some stuff. Then the sales team would add their content and input to it. Then the brand group would get it and then they would review it and sure it meant all the messaging guidelines and change it and add some stuff to it. Then legal and compliance would take a look and legal and compliance looking at it, changing it, marking it up. And then finally the content team would get back and try and resolve all that stuff. And the whole process took about eight weeks. And he said, that's just not tenable. And he's right. And so that's what he meant was this kind of inefficient review process. It happens when we get, you know, all these committees and everything and groups and different silos involved in creating this content. And all of a sudden you're putting, you know, rock and roll quotes around strategic, right? You know, because you just can't afford to have that kind of thing. And 
one of the things that we talked about was sort of changing the idea of the review process because what's happened I've found in many businesses is that the quote unquote review process is really just the production process with a checking also included. In other words, we start writing our stuff and then it goes to another group to review. That doesn't mean re- they're reviewing. What that means is is that they haven't had the ability to add in their two cents. Yeah. So they start they start creating two. So it's review yeah. conflated with production, re- you know, conflated with creation. Yeah. And what we're building is sort of, you know, we're simultaneously building a house where everybody gets opinions on what, how many bedrooms it should have and what the design should look like and all that stuff. Yeah. And so if we can, and one of the things we're trying to do with this particular company is look at it and say, if we can add a planning stage in between the ideation and production stage where we add this planning and, you know, whether it's an outline or whether it's an abstract or whether everybody gets in the room together and adds their input before it gets written Mm -hmm. so that all that input is taken into account and transform the review process literally into a, did you get it? Then it goes much faster. And I've found that it, in some cases it can actually double the speed by which we do things, but it means everybody's got to buy into that. It means that everybody's got to buy into the fact that, yeah, you're, you aren't going to get to write the paragraph on what sales input into this white paper is. Yeah. You're going to have to trust that the content team or the writer of this paper is going to take your input into consideration and you're going to review it accordingly. And that's sort of what, um, you know, yeah, no, it's, a, it's, a, it's a pain point I see common today. Yeah, well, also when you have that process, you um, somebody was saying, uh, described it on this podcast, I think, as Franken content. And you've got all these different yeah. voices within that content. And you can't, um, uh, yeah, it was Misha Tramp last week. She was saying that you can't get an authentic voice uh, through that. And, and she was railing against ghostwriting because she saw that, you know, you get a lot of substandard content because it's written in that kind of way. And then it's, abs- and then it's assigned to somebody else. Um, but also, I, I, I really, I mean, I really like what you described and you know that, um, had some experience this sort of thing too um but also just that agreement on what is the story that we're going to tell about this topic and get an agreement on that and the research around that before you even think about what the asset is that you're going to produce it's uh, such an incredibly important point and Mm. you know the funny thing is is that we these days you know you hear the you, you hear everybody say we should act more like media companies and mm-hmm. we should, you know, operate more like media companies and, and, and all of that. And yeah. what's missing from that is that what people hear there is that we should market ourselves like media companies. And that's not what is meant by right. operating more like a media company. What's meant is that what media companies do really well is that they understand that the planning of story, the architecture of story, the architecture of what it is that they're going to create is done in a separate process from then deciding what container that content's going to go into. Yeah, And so it's really clear about what that story is and what the, you know, what the outline is and what, you know, the consistency is and who's authoring it and how it's going to work. And all of that planning takes place And then they go, great, it's a movie, it's a TV series, Mm -hmm. it's a, you know, all of that kind of thing. Or it's all of the above, right? It's a TV series and a movie and a novel and, you know, a website and all of the above. So 
that's the difference is is that how we actually approach the the you know what would i guess classically be called the product development methodology yeah. of content yeah that's what we can learn from media companies is how they actually develop content yeah. at scale yeah i am um, i completely agree with you on that i am um, uh, i worked for a vendor that uh, that had a lot of publishers as clients and they're not seen as the sexiest of clients to have right but what i thought as a content professional and as uh, and as we were um selling content management um a, a content management product is there's so much we could learn from the publishers and exactly to your point about the way they think about content the way they think about developing content and the tools they use and the way they go about that process which is completely different to the way that the marketers often think which is they think of the tactic and they think of the channel and then they work back from that and think about well what am i going to say in this white paper on this channel in this tweet right now and you know what the difference is mm-hmm. is that is that the publishers the media companies look at content as the product yes and marketers look at content as the fuel yeah. um that can be burned off to get to a product yeah um and the and so when you when you hear that vp of marketing go we don't have time for strategic content yeah. in many cases you know what they're what they're what they're actually saying and this wasn't the case in this particular instance mm-hmm. of, of the person i was talking to but what they're actually saying is all we're trying to do is burn off some rocket fuel here to get yeah. to a particular goal and we can't afford to spend this much time on it it's just yeah. costing us too much fuel yeah to get you know to get to a, a, another goal which is a lead or a customer or a, a yeah. you know a subscriber or whatever it is and it's and, and the business is making some sort of rationalization to say here's the amount of resources we can spend the fuel yeah. we can burn in order to get to that goal yeah and 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 all of a sudden you go oh well okay well then that means we can only create a product that is you know you know put a level on it but this good right I think versus this, that good yeah i mean and, this this yeah this point is 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 great um sorry i interrupted you um uh, in terms of what how good does the content need to be in order to accomplish that i mean it's, i've worked with marketers that, I, that really don't care they're just looking for something to put in an email or put in the next nurture phase and it, it needs to be decent and then you've got other situations where you have people that are absolute subject matter experts that are really keen on the absolute detail of this ebook or white paper and will not let it go unless it's absolutely perfect like a like a facade right you know like like their doctorate or something H- how do you strike that balance it's it's a great question because if mm-hmm. you ask like the executive leadership usually yeah um or you ask a salesperson or you ask in some cases the demand generation professional or whatever they might tell you it needs to be you know 1% better or or 0.1% better than makes someone take the action that you want them to take yeah you know what i mean yeah in other words it only needs to be good enough yeah. to actually meet the goal yeah and and the goal is to get somebody to raise their hand to talk to a sales guy or to to to, to you know to generate that you know form fill or to generate that lead or that click or that download or whatever it only needs to be just that good and the and what they would tell you the balance is mm-hmm. is they would say you know watch the action right yeah. in other words 
And, and, and but of course, quality isn't measured like that. You can't, you know, you, yeah. it's not like fuel. Yeah. You can't say, oh, I'm going to make this just good enough to make someone want to click. Yeah. You know, what you're trying to do as a content creator is create something that's, you know, differentiated and amazing and the best that it can be. Yeah. So that it meets that goal. Yeah. Um, because you don't know where that line can be drawn. Absolutely. Now, that doesn't mean the line can't be drawn. Mm-hmm. Because, you know, to your point, the, you know, there are, the opposite is also true in some cases that we spend so much time in analysis paralysis mm-hmm. of, or, you know, over designing, overthinking, overwriting, over creating, overdone with a piece of content that it never gets out into the marketplace and therefore we never, you know, it, it, yeah. it's delayed and so expensive that it doesn't matter how many leads it creates, it was unprofitable for us to do. Yeah, yeah. Absolutely. And and that, that balance is hard. That's part of the art of what we're mm-hmm. doing here is that understanding how much is enough, how good is enough mm-hmm. to create the action we want to create um, but also not overblow ourselves with, you know, analyzing or overthinking or overcreating something to the point where, you know, it's an art project. Yeah. Absolutely. Um, and, and it's a, you know, I mean, look, this is, this is one of the core things we can learn from media companies. Yeah. You know, a lot of people will, will say, you know, you watch popular blockbusters or you'll watch, mm-hmm. You know, you know, TV shows that are hits and stuff. I was, in fact, I was just watching last night um, uh, the show, uh, the reunion of the show Friends. Yeah, yeah. And I was fascinated with uh, with one of what the creators said, which was midway through the series, Mm -hmm. um, they would have, you know, so like, you know, they had they ran for ten seasons, and you know, seasons four, five, six, somewhere in there. What they would get is from the studio, they would get instructions to say, okay, you have to have what they called bottle episodes. And what bottle episodes were, were ways to manage the budget. You would basically, you would force the story into one room or you would only have one setting or, you know, whatever it was to basically manage the production costs. Yeah. Um, And so you would try and strategically write content that were in, you know, like that would only take place in the apartment, for example, which would manage the costs, you know, substantially. And so you'd have to have a certain number of those to be able to manage your budget squarely so that you could spend the really good amount of money that you wanted to spend on the, on the, you know, on the big, you know, big episodes. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And that to me is a fascinating thing as a media company tries to balance this. It's the same equation we have to make which is which ones of these content are going to be our bottle episodes where we just need to get the thing out in order to create yeah. some actions. But that affords us the ability to create this differentiated art, if you will, of really good stuff too. That's perfect. That's perfect. Um, but, and we've run well over time. Um, it'll be a long episode. Yeah, sorry about that. I, I, no, I get, I couldn't, I get I a little on to this topic. I couldn't interrupt that one. That was perfect. Thank you very much. And also um, the Friends reunion, which we've got on record, which my wife's a huge fan of Friends. We're looking forward to, looking forward to watching that. But yeah, that bottle episode, that idea of mixing up the content that you produce and actually shipping and not 
not analyzing everything to death is absolutely true. Yeah. So on uh, on so if um, as I've had to cut you off, whereabouts on the interwebs can people find you, my friend? Well, these days, my little hovel on the internet <laughs> is a little place we call contentadvisory.net. And then, of course, on the social dials, you can dial us up, Robert underscore Rose on the Twitter yeah. and LinkedIn with one of those keyword like searches. Yes. I, uh, and I will include all your links in the show notes. Thank you very much, my friend. And are you planning on living here for another week? Shall I see you next week? I am. I am. I'm, I'm up in the air conditioning duct. So um, <laughs> I, will, I will swoop down on, uh, on our next gathering and make us another cocktail. <laughs> I look forward to it. Thank you, mate. I'll see you then. Thank you, Robert. Very much enjoying his residency in our virtual bar. And I think we might have tapped into something there. Maybe a topic to return to on another show. So that's a wrap on episode 63 of the Rockstar CMO Effing Marketing Podcast. Thanks again to Jeff, Christina and Robert. I really appreciate their time. So please thank them by checking out the show notes, clicking their links, follow them and take a look at their work. You can find the show notes at rockstarcmo.fm where you can also find all our previous episodes but most of all thank you for dropping a dime into your podcasting jukebox selecting our track and jiving along with us does the world need another effing martin podcast let me know what you think please leave a rating review or subscribe or just keep listening i'm glad you're here Next week, Julie Ogilvie will be back. I'm looking forward to chatting to Richard Medcalf, a leadership strategist to top tech CEOs. And I think I'll find Robert Rose in our virtual rockstar CMO bar. Until then, I've been your host, Ian Truscott, and I hope you join us next week here at Rockstar CMO FM. You may know you're listening to this show along the Marketing Podcast Network, but did you know there are other great shows on MPN to help your business? Christy Heiler hosts a fantastic podcast called Own It. Christy, tell us more about the show. Own It is all about celebrating women and non-binary advertising agency owners. We talk about buying out of the Boys Club of Advertising because less than 1% of ad agencies are owned by women. And where can people subscribe? You can find the podcast at untilyouownit.com. We're also on the Marketing Podcast Network at marketingpodcast.net. And of course, you can subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. You heard her. Go subscribe. This podcast is heard along the Marketing Podcast Network. For more great marketing podcasts, visit marketingpodcasts.net.